It's uh, awesome to be with you guys tonight. I always love coming across uh, to be with uh, you students and some of the older folk also. It's lovely to have some of the older guys joining as well. So I've come with two preachers, and um, the second one I'll do at 6 o'clock. But I felt just, um, and I wasn't sure which way to go, but I really do feel that to pick up on that thing of seeing God properly. Because so much in our world, so much as we grow up, is designed by God for us to learn about Him. But because kind of sin has come into the world, and sin always kills, it corrupts, it's a bit like you know, rust in a vehicle, or, or, or it, it destroys. And so what often happens is as we grow up, with the things that we should learn about God from, they actually give us a distorted image, a distorted understanding of what He's like. And one of the most important things that God instituted is the concept of family, the concept of um, a mom, and a dad. And uh, if there's ever been an attack upon mom and dad, and I want to zone in more into the father just now, it's now. We live in a generation where marriage is almost a non- non-entity. And, uh, and there's been a breakdown in relationships that's now rippling through. And without us realizing, you know, sin always feels attractive, but we don't realize it's got a, it's kind of sting in the end. It kills you in the end. And so we're living in a world that's broken and more and more and more broken as our society is turning away from Judeo-Christian values. And so we're seeing a breakdown in marriage. And how many of you come out of broken homes? Just maybe show us where you are. And, um, and even those that come out of whole homes where mom and dad held it out, so often we actually actually don't see God properly as, we, as our fathers do their best to try and uh, hopefully reflect God to us. Because actually, I'm a dad. I've got a 16-year-old girl. She's about to turn 16. And um, it's an incredible responsibility that I carry. My responsibility isn't just to bring her up and to make sure she gets a good education. My responsibility is to reflect Father God to her, that she would learn about Him just by looking at me. And that's kind of a big ask, isn't it? It's a really big deal. And, and I, I mean, I've followed the Lord flat out from, I was 23 when I gave my life, well, sorry, I was 19 when I gave my life to the Lord. I've served Him flat out since then. And I still find so often I don't reflect Him as well as I know I should. And I have to continually have to recalibrate myself uh, and, and repent and turn back so that I can reflect Him well uh, knowing about what a father is is such a key thing because you and I learn about what God is like as we look at our, actually primarily our fathers. Mom reflects another aspect of what God is like. But moms are normally just naturally more faithful than fathers. I mean, some of our moms have messed up. But men with ego and all the things that we got when, when the fall came in really have a really bad habit of making stupid mistakes. And... If there's ever been a, an attack upon manhood, it's now. I mean, there's almost like, to be a man is like a swear word. And, and to be, uh, it, it's become kind of very looked down on the whole anti-patriarchy system. You guys are in a student generation, so that'll be on the forefront. Kind of, you can't trust male figures, so let's tear them down. And the danger is without realizing we're tearing down, actually, the essence of what God wants within the community, within his community. He wants us to learn about him through our fathers. And so what I'm hoping to do is to dig in a little bit to what the Bible says about the Father, heart of God, so that many of us who have come, and I guarantee none of us fully understands God as a father. I mean, you might have had an amazing dad, but even an amazing dad falls very short of what God is really like 
as a father. And until we understand him as a father, we actually don't know him. It's like we were singing earlier, show me the real Jesus, show me the real God, show me what you like. The problem is we look at him through the lens of our own brokenness. If you had a dad who was very strong and autocratic, God feels like that to you. If you had a father who is distant, you'll struggle to get intimate with God because you've learned, you've learned that that's what a father is. And so some of us even, I remember when I first got, well, I actually had a good dad, but I know friends of mine who, when they got saved, they loved Jesus, but they couldn't get into the father. Like they could worship Jesus, but don't start thinking about the father because my, their father had been such a bad reflection of what God was like to them. And so it took years of God healing, and God wants to heal our understanding. He actually wants us to see him as he really is. And, uh, and so in, in Zechariah, and I, maybe in Matthew 26, verse 31, Jesus actually bemoans the heart of his people. He's, he's seeing the failures, he's seeing the things that have gone wrong, and he says, um, he says strike the shepherd, and the, sh- and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. When the leader, when the shepherd of the sheep is struck, the sheep are scattered. When fathers are struck down, actually there's a scattering that happens in our hearts. We struggle to understand where we fit, how we belong, and we struggle to understand what God is like. And so, um, how many of you know that there is a real devil? He's not just He's real, and he's got a lot of angels with him, fallen angels, and their mission in life is to destroy you, and the best way to destroy you is to destroy the image of God in you, and so to to corrupt and to destroy what you see, and then ultimately that'll affect what you become. It's quite interesting, uh, Hallmark used to be a card, I don't know if they're still around, but they used to make birthday cards and anniversary cards, and they did a thing where they went to a prison, and they decided they were going to try to kind of get into prisons, and we're going to be generous, this was kind of their arm of mercy. They went into a maximum security prison in America, and they asked uh, on Father's Day, and they said, we'll give you free cards for your fathers on Father's Day. And uh, there were 400 prisoners in that prison. Guess how many Father's Day cards they took? Not one. And then they did it on Mother's Day. And every single one of the prisoners sent a Mother's Day card. And you go, somehow there's just a loss of fathers. And the fruit of a loss of fathers that caused a brokenness to come into these, these prisoners that are now, I mean, these are the worst of society. Because they had lost the understanding of father, they'd struggled with their own identity, their own sense of worth, and that had led them down a whole lot of terrible paths, which really, really hurt them and hurt those around them. In the early 2000s, they did a survey in America, and they asked the average father in America, how long, how many, uh, how much time a week do you spend in direct communication with your children? And the average father in America averaged 37 seconds a week in direct communication which is, which is, I think, uh, six seconds a day in direct communication. In other words, how's your day? That oh, was good. Okay, that's great. Pass me the salt. <laughs> and, it, and it's this terrible thing of this, this, this loss of fathers. And so we grow up, and then we get saved, and we come into the kingdom of God. And God says, I'm a father. And that concept is so broken to us, we actually really struggle to relate to him properly. Uh, and so it's a real, real challenge. Um, and more and more and more so as the world gets more messed up. And it's a pretty messed up world. You've got to know that. I mean, when I grew up, I was, a, I was what you would call a skabanger. 
when I was growing up, I was, I was that guy that, you, if you were a girl, you didn't introduce me to your dad if you wanted to date me. Uh, I, I lived in a car. I was a drug addict. I was demonized. I look at the world today, and I was like a saint. <laughs> the world has just got so messed up. And, um, and the things that we did that were naughty are just regarded as, well, I mean, marijuana is legal now. Man, I used to hide from the police for that stuff before I came to Jesus. And it messed me up badly. I had demons got started because I opened the door through marijuana. You can do it legally. At least I knew I was doing something wrong. You see, the devil is the god of this world. And he wants to steal, he wants to kill and destroy. And he hates God. And God loves you. He can't hurt God because God is big and strong. But he can hurt God this way by hurting what God loves. And you know who that is? It's you. And so he comes against you through the world, through the brokenness of family, through the media, through everything, to break and to destroy and to corrupt and to kill. And the more he breaks your world, the more he breaks you. And that's how he hurts God. And God comes and he says in places like 2 Corinthians 6, 18, he says this, I will be, it's up there on the board, I'll be a father to you and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty, the God who made everything, ultimately comes with a revelation of himself and he says, I'll be a father to you. The problem is when you hear that, that evokes feelings in you. It evokes a reference of what your dad was and what he wasn't, how warm he was, how warm he wasn't, how strong he was. How, and, and, and so you begin to see God through that lens because your father was supposed to reflect what a good father was. That was when God made us, he said it was good. It was only when sin came in that death and all those things came in with it. And so it's amazing. We've got to come to God and we actually have to get our minds renewed about what the Father's like. And the good news for you that have had bad fathers is God is a healer. He is a restorer. He is a God who can take really messed up things and make them whole. He is brilliant at that. And I, I stand in front of you as I lived in a car for two years. I didn't shower or, or bath for two years. I, 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 I had demons cast out of me twice. The night I got saved and a year after I gave my life to Jesus. I struggled with suicide and depression for my first year. I was physically ill to the point that doctors didn't know what was wrong with me. And it was just the demonic in my life that I didn't know how to close the door to. And yet God, over time, found me in my brokenness. And the brokenness that I'd created in my own life through sin. And he began to fix and heal and make whole. And here you think, Lord, you really do choose the foolish, weak, broken things of this world. Because I'm one of them. But he found me and he healed me. And I know he's a father that wants the same for you. So he says some amazing things about us. And I don't think we realize that, you know, how many of you are, you're a dad now. You, there's not a lot of dads here. I think there's a dad over there. I saw some kids going off. Uh, one of our elders, uh, Hannes, who we did TMT together, his sister just coming onto the deacon team, I see. His, uh, Hannes has just had a, a child. And uh, it's a weird thing. Because I didn't actually understand how my father felt about me properly. And my dad was good. Until I actually held my daughter for myself. It's the weirdest thing. You, you just, it's the weirdest thing. It's like, 
it, it's something unlocks in you like you've not ever experienced before. And you, I remember holding my daughter for the first time and thinking, my parents felt like this about me. I, I had no idea. I had no idea. I mean, my dad loved me and he was a good dad and my mom was, but I had no idea that they felt like what I'm feeling now. And it's an amazing thing to actually, as you grow up, you start to get these moments where by the grace of God, he gives you these experiences and you begin to learn about what, ideally, if, what he's like. But he says some amazing things about us. And I want us to just look at, um, at what some of those things are because in some ways, we need to see him through the lens of the Bible. We need to see him as he reveals himself. And we need to, in some way, put down the broken impressions that we have and choose to believe God, because he never lies. And I love the scriptures because they show us a father that says, I want to be a father to you. Though you have had no fathers, I want to be a father to you. And I want to be a good father. And he says stuff like this in Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14. Or David's actually talking to God and he gets God. He, he knows that, that God loves him. And he says this, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. Because I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. I don't know what you f see when you look in the mirror. I mean, it's a funny thing. Some of us think Jesus himself is looking back at them when they look in the mirror. M most of us, most of us, most of us are desperately trying to find out who I am. Just how do I fit? You know, what do people see when they see me? And there's this longing inside of us to... Find our sense of worth. And we try and find it in all sorts of stuff. You can find it in fashion and clothes and in sport, in career. Many of you, you know, you can try and find your sense of worth in all of these things. But actually, we have to find our sense of worth in Jesus. Can I say, you can even try and find your sense of worth in ministry. And that's a very dangerous thing. We have to find ourselves in the Lord. And I love what he says here when he says, I, he, he knits us together in our mother's womb. And that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I have this graphic picture of God who, the Bible says, all things. He sustains all things. In other words, the reason why you're alive right now is because God is in you, keeping you alive. What makes your heart stop beating? Death. And death is when God somehow withdraws life from you. Says, that's it, your time's up. But life, you're breathing because God God puts you together, and everything works. And even with it working, you know the difference between you and a dead person? Life, and what is that? It's God sustaining you. And then he says, he knits you together in your mother's womb. He literally, painstakingly, formed your unformed body. He formed your DNA. He formed what you grow up to look like. He formed, and even some of your personality will be formed through epigenetics, through your parents, as he brought you through that. And even if you had really bad parents, it doesn't change the fact that God lovingly put you together. And that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. <laughs> you might not think about that. You might not see that about yourself. But that's what God says about you, that you are wonderfully made. You're a marvel. You know, how you work, how your brain works, with all our technology today, we still can't make you. And God made you. And then he says that he wants us. He, he wants a relationship with us. In Galatians 4, verse 4 to 7, and let's read that together. He says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, 
born of a woman, born under the law. He sent Jesus, his firstborn, to redeem those under the law so that, in other words, the purpose was so that we might receive the full rights of sons. The point of Jesus coming was that you and I would become sons and daughters of God in his family and fully sons, fully daughters. That the way he looks at Jesus is the way he would actually look at you. That he would include you in his family. And then he goes on. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, which is a, a childish Hebrew way of saying Dada. Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son, God has also made you an heir. Do you know that God has an inheritance for you as a father? That he has planned for you. Most of you are here. Who's here at your own steam? In other words, you're paying for yourself. Whose parents are paying for you? I, let me just tell you, having kids is expensive. <laughs> I'm glad I only had one. <laughs> it is so expensive. And, and, and it, but there's a, fa a father took the time to plan in his budget that he would want to give you a future somehow. And, and through his grid, this was the best he thought he could do for you. And so he's brought you and allowed you to come to this prestigious university so that you can actually develop yourself in some area. And, an, and, and this is a fallen father. This is a fallen mom. This is a fallen dad. But God says, but I've got plans for you. I've got plans for your life. I've got something unique that I made you for. When I formed you in your mother's womb, there were things that I had just for you that I wanted to do with you, through you. And the point was here that you would become a full son and a full daughter in his house. Uh, and that's a profound thing. Uh, you know, when Jesus had this relationship with the Father, it was like this incredible relationship that he had. And then he prayed that we would have that same type of relationship in our relationship to God the Father. I remember years ago, uh, a few years ago, I was trying to teach my daughter to surf. I was hoping she'd get into it because it's a sport I love and it was something I wanted to do with her. So, you know, from she was a little chokurki, you're kind of hoping she's going to bite this, but I got a little wetsuit and I got a little surfboard and I would walk it down to the beach and often my friends would go surfing and I would stand in waist deep water, pushing her into little foamies and cheering for her when she stood up and it was like, yeah. And, uh, I mean, it was, and Cape Town water is freezing, but you, you, you stand in there because you love her and you want to have this moment with her. And it was just so fun seeing her breaking her own little boundaries and, you know, growing and kind of learning and starting to do little things. And I remember the one day I was standing in the water with her. Uh, I was at Betty's Bay, which is around your coastline, actually. I'm normally on the, false, on the cold side. Betty's Bay is the shark side. It's the, the false bay side. And uh, I, I was standing in waist deep water at Betty's Bay, pushing her into waves as a little girl. She was probably about six at the time. I'll never forget standing there this deep in water. It was, it was hard to move. That's, that's deep enough that you can't run out. And as I was about to push her into a wave, I saw movement, and I looked down, and there was a shark uh, swimming right at us. And uh, I was about to push her in a wave, and I saw this. And I remember in the moment thinking, what do I do? I've got this little girl on a surfboard. There's a shark. It's right, right. I mean, it's like a meter from my leg swimming towards me. And I've got this moment because she's about to go on a wave. What do I do? And I remember thinking, should I push her? Because if I push her, she's going to move towards shore, and then I can do whatever. I'm going to try and fight this thing off. I don't know, try and kick it or something. 
But I, then I, at this moment, in the moment, I remember thinking, if I push her and she goes three, four, five meters and falls, that thing's going to get to her faster than I can. It, 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 there's no way I'll move as fast as it can. And now her splash might attract it and I can't, I can't defend her. It was a weird thing because it was literally in a split second I remember my brain processing this. And at one point I realized I don't want to push her away because actually I can protect her. But the only way I could protect her was by putting myself between her and the shark. So what I did was I literally put my leg where its mouth was and held her and start trying to move towards shore. And the thing literally followed me towards shore. It didn't actually bite me. But I remember getting to the shore with my daughter and just being so glad that I got out the water with her. And then you read the Bible, and the Bible says this. You who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. And I realized that actually, as a fallen man, my love for my daughter was so much that I was prepared to potentially lose my leg and maybe my life. And I didn't, I didn't think twice about it. And God says, Andrew, you're still evil compared to what I'm like. How much more so, how much more so does God not love you and me? And I think very often we don't realize that, you know. We, come, we might grow up in the church and we don't actually know God. Like a father, like a, that he is for you, not against you. That he wants you. He wants to be close to you. He wants to protect you. So there's some wonderful things that he says in Psalm 27, verse 10. Listen to this. He'll be a father to the fatherless. Have you ever had a bad father? Well, here's good news. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. It's a funny thing growing up. Um, again, I mentioned my mom and dad. We... we they were good. I mean, they weren't perfect. My mom and dad were good. They had their issues, but generally I, did, I was on the good side of things. And, um, but here's the thing. For some of us, even if our mother and our father forsook us, just d- didn't want us, gave us away or just rejected us, God says, I will receive you. I will receive you. And the amazing thing is, you know, I think one of the misconceptions that we have, people today, is that we have a desperate need for identity, a sense of that I'm worth something. And so a lot of well-meaning preachers try and tell us that, you know, we're amazing and that's why God loves us. But actually, in reality, we're not amazing. We are like scum, ugly, dirty, wicked things. But God is such a loving Father that He sees us in our brokenness and in our sin, and He still wants to be a Father to us. That there is no person on this planet that God does not want to be a father to. That God does not want to rescue. I mean, you could mention some evil people. Right now, Putin's probably up there with... Uh, that God loves him. And wishes, wishes somehow that his eyes would be opened to see God the Father. Because <laughs> God is that kind of God. He is love. In other words, it flows from who he is. And so when we have this concept of love, and it's kind of a, even that's a bit messed up. But God is love in the true sense of the word. And so he comes to us and he says, I'll be faithful to you. 
How many of you have felt unfaithfulness before? Where someone that you've loved or trusted has let you down? Well, God says stuff like this in Psalm 89 verse 24. My faithful love will be with him. And though his name, through my name, his horn or his strength, will, I will strengthen him. With my name, I will strengthen him. There's another translation of that. My faithful love will be, this is old English up there. His horn will be exalted. That's old English for, with my name, I will strengthen him. My faithful love will be with you. Do you know, I remember as a young Christian, I came out of drugs and our demons crossed out of me and uh, I didn't know how to stay free. So I, I kept meditating and going into trances, which opens the door to the demonic. And I kept getting demons coming back that I didn't know how to clean them out of me. And I remember I started getting sick. Like my mother, I, I just actually was chatting about it the other day with my mom. She's in our Melpos congregation. I got so sick that doctors thought I was dying. I was about 20 years of age. Uh, I had a kidney infection. I had a blood infection. I had a, a liver infection. I just had infections moving around my body. And wherever they treated it, it just moved somewhere else. And doctors didn't know what was wrong with me. I was in Port Elizabeth studying at UPE at the time. And uh, they told my parents to come up, basically, because I was starting to get that point where doctors were like, this is actually becoming life-threatening now. And I'll never forget, uh, sick, 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 sore, 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 sore. And finally, they, they released me from hospital. I was still struggling with my sickness. And uh, I remember going home, and I was sore. I was tired. I was demonized, and my mind was, it wasn't clear. And uh, I just, to be honest, I remember thinking, this Christian thing's too hard. I don't know if I can do it anymore. When I was a drug addict, it was never like this. Like, my life sucks. I used to have a fun life when I was a drug addict. My Christian life sucked. And I was like, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. And I remember just thinking, I remember being in pain still and thinking, if I do marijuana, is that going to, because it normally accelerates, you know, you use more of your brain. Well, that's what we thought. So I remember thinking, if I do marijuana, will this make the pain worse or better? And then at one point, I didn't care anymore. And I just thought, stuff that. I tried to get my friends, Joey Keller, who actually leads our PM congregation, and Nikki Carstens was still in PE. He's one of our deacons now, and we were still young Christians. And I remember going to them and saying, let's get stoned. And uh, none of them would, because <laughs> I'd led them both to the Lord, so I was very upset with them. <laughs> I'd, I was really upset with them, and I felt like they betrayed me, you know? and I was like... So I went on my own. I drove anywhere to buy the stuff. I went out to the area called the Greenhouse in PE and got the stuff. And I was on my own. I was miffed, angry. Drove home, rolled it, and smoked it. And as I was smoking it, and I wasn't yet stoned. Uh, marijuana normally takes a while before it kicks in. And I'm, I've just finished it, and I'm not yet stoned. And I remember thinking, what have I just done? Like, what have I just done? Like, God dies on a cross for me. Finds me in my sin and my brokenness. Forgives me. And I do this. And there's a scripture that speaks about trampling the son of God under your feet. If you willingly go back to your sin. And I realized I had willingly gone back to my sin. I had literally said, thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross. And then I had kind of said, you know what? Ugh. And I'd actually, I had personally trampled him under my feet. And I remember sitting in the room and starting to get really scared, because I remember thinking, like, what have I done? And I know I'm about to get stoned, and I'm freaking out. And um, I remember just thinking, I, I feel like I want to pray, but I'm too scared to pray. How do you pray to God when you're about to get stoned? Like, that's not cool. 
So I was a bit scared to try and pray because I figured maybe I'd make him angry if I prayed. I was a young Christian. Maybe I'll make him angry if I pray. Maybe it's like mockery. And I get it, got so desperate, I thought, I'm just going to read my Bible. And I opened up my Bible. <laughs> and it was in the book of Psalms. And it was after King David had sinned and actually committed murder and adultery in his relationship with God. He had turned away so far. He had killed somebody and had a, a relationship with a woman who wasn't his wife. Now, I didn't know that when I got to the psalm, but I just flipped it open. Have you ever flipped open your Bible and it's like there's a light from heaven? <laughs> Have you ever had that? Like I flipped up my Bible and there was a light from heaven on this psalm. And I remember just desperately starting to read, hoping that somehow I was going to be okay. And this is what it said. I'm going to paraphrase. Where can I go from your presence? If I run from you, your right hand will find me and you'll hold me. It goes on to say, even if I go into hell itself, there your right hand will be to save me. And I remember sitting there as this guy that's about to get stoned, realizing that God loved me, even in what I'd just done. That even what I'd done had not changed the way he felt about me. And I knew instantly that I could talk to him. And I began to pray. I never got stoned, which for me was, like I got stoned if, if I smelled the stuff. But the presence of God came into that room and just found me. And in my brokenness began to just heal me. And show me a God that was so different from what I had ever imagined he would be. And that was a journey that continued. I still often find I come into his presence and I'm like, oh my goodness. You're like so out there. You're so different from what I thought, God. But every time I see you, I'm ruined. I'm wrecked. I'm like, you win my heart every single time because I know that I'll never deserve your love. But you pour it out over me so freely. I know that I don't deserve to be accepted, but you accept me so fully. You embrace me as a son so fully. I am safe in your arms. When everyone forsakes me, I know you never will, God. I've been times that I've felt everyone forsook me, but never him. Never him. Listen to this. Um, Sometimes, how many of you find sometimes you face life and it's scary? I'll tell you another of my drug stories. I, so, 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 I'm a young Christian now, and I'm, I had basically, when I went to varsity, I had freedom. I was, I was at a boarding school, so university was like, no one cared if I went to lectures. Like, no one cared. So I just surfed every day. Like, every day, all day. I surfed eight hours a day. And um, it was a lot of fun. And then I... <laughs> And then I got saved, and um, the problem was I had a student loan. Now, I'd been going a, a year and a bit. I had failed every subject my first year because I didn't go to lectures. I just, I didn't even go to exams if the surf was good. And then, um, <laughs> and, then, um, and then I got saved, and I began to try and work at this thing. And after a period of time, I, I studied another year, and I felt the Lord say he'd called me out of that. Uh, but I was still very broken, young Christian. And so I left law, and... Uh, the problem was I had a student loan because my father had seen me throwing things away and tried to show me responsibility. So he said, you need to take out a student loan, which I did. And I had a 30,000 rand student loan, which doesn't sound like much now, but in 1990, 91, that was a lot of money. And I remember my dad was trying to teach me responsibility. And so he would say to me, Andrew, you need to, you, you know, you, you're not earning enough money yet. I was working as a waiter. You're not earning enough money to pay back your student loan yet. 
you need to phone the bank manager. Now, my dad was friends with the bank manager, so he had a lot of influence. He, was a, he, he ran a massive account, and so I think the bank manager would pretty much have done anything to help my dad. But I remember being so scared of phoning a bank manager. As a, I mean, I was a new Christian. I was like, are you for real? I, there's no way I'm going to phone a bank manager. So I, my dad would say, do it, and I'll, yeah, I'll do it, and I just wouldn't. And I, and I wouldn't do it, and eventually... I got the point where, actually, it was like starting to get the point where people are actually going to open up, like, police are going to come find me soon, because I've just disappeared as far as they're concerned. I'm not paying back my debt. And I was so overwhelmed and scared at the thought of phoning a bank manager, which is so weird now, but sometimes it's just things get over you. I was overwhelmed. And then Joshua 1.9, God says this. Listen to this. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged. My translation says, uh, or terrified of anything. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Don't be afraid. Wherever you go, he says, I'll be with you. And I know sometimes we come into situations that we feel like, I am so dead, I'm so on my own. But he promises to be with you. And as I grew in my faith, I began to learn that. And realize if God is with me, well, what have I got to, what have I got to fear? If God is for me, who can be against me? And that doesn't mean that it's always gone easy, but I do know that he's with me to the very end and that I should fear nothing. And I think, I, I think I'm almost there. I don't fear much. I mean, I remember serving the Lord as well. I'm sure Max got stories like this, but I remember leading this guy to the Lord once and... Um, He's a Satanist, and he's just really broken, demonized, and we drove demons out of him, but they came back. And I remember the one day he walked into my room with a spear gun loaded, and he was just black, demonized, and he was like pointing it in my chest. I'm going to effing kill you! And I'm like this young pastor, like I'm over like... <laughs> and I remember just the peace of God on me. And I remember saying to him, do it. What have I got to fear? She's going to send me into the presence of God. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I want to do it. And I'm like, do it. <laughs> what am I going to fear? And eventually he just burst down, you know, dropped the gun, sobbed, fell on the ground, and I got to pray with him. But what have I got to fear? What have I got to fear? And God is with me. And God wants to be with you. Through everything, through whatever you go through. Because he's a loving father. But I think sometimes we don't even realize it. We face these things on our own. And we just don't get perspective. He's unchanging. How many of you have had dads that just were like up, down, moody, not moody? Do you know that God's not like it? Listen to this. In James 1, 17. Every good and perfect gift is from God, from above. Coming down from the father of the heavenly lights. Who does not change like shifting shadows. He doesn't change. He is consistent and faithful. He doesn't have bad moods, bad moments, bad days. He is a loving father and he's consistent in that. And even in his discipline, which does suck when we, we get it because he does discipline who he loves. But even his discipline is never anger. It's always to redeem. It's always to bring us through. He is consistent. I love that thing. His favor lasts a lifetime. How many of you were sitting in a meeting somewhere or sitting with a friend somewhere and asked 
and, and realize that you needed him as a savior and asked him to come into your life. Just show me where you are. If, if you, you, you gave, you, you're a Christian. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. For that to happen, he showed you favor. He loved you. And his favor lasts a lifetime. In other words, he put favor on you. And his favor is consistently going to remain upon you. He's forgiving, not a punishing father. He disciplines, but his heart is not to hurt us. Listen to this in Micah 7, verse 18 to 20. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Delights to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us because they've been naughty again. So he's going to have compassion again. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our, all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. I love this. Be true to Jacob and show mercy to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our fathers in days long ago. Who is like you, God, who pardons sins? The Bible says love holds no record. Of wrongs. <laughs> Who's done wrong? His heart towards you is to hold no record of wrongs. He wants to bring you close. He wants to help you. I'll never forget him teaching me this. I was a young leader in the church uh, in Port Elizabeth. I've got a few more minutes. And um, we had a, a guy in our church who had got himself in financial debt. And he just was one of those guys who was like, he couldn't help himself spending money. And we were really poor, my wife, and I, I think I earned in those days a thousand rand a month, which was nothing even then. Um, my rent was more than that. Uh, and I was serving the Lord. I was so excited. I was full-time in the church. And I couldn't afford in those days, this was the, the apartheid days, I couldn't afford to live in a white area to, to give you an idea of how little I was earning. And, um, <laughs> and so this guy in our church, and I'm one of the elders, and he's just blowing money he's bought a leather lounge suite new car and i'm like so and then he comes to us and says i've got no money i need food for the pantry so i was tasked by the elders to go and talk to him come on bro you can't buy leather couches and then say you've got no money at the end of the month and the church needs to help you financially so i meet with him and his wife and uh, we sit and we talk to them we're trying to explain that they're not being good stewards and uh and I think it went really well until I see him next Sunday and he's got a new car. <laughs> and then he comes out again and he says he needs food for the... And he'd also bought himself a new lounge suite. And I was like so angry with him. I was like, yeah, now you're going to go hungry, bro. Like now you're going to experience the consequence of your actions. And I was going to tell the elders, you know, this guy's going to go hungry because he's just not listened. I've spoken to him. He's not listening. And then I went, and I didn't expect the Lord to do this. I was having my quiet time, and the Lord comes into my quiet time, and he says to me, Andrew, yes, Lord, I want you to give him money from your own money. And I'm like, but Lord, I only earned a thousand rand a month, <laughs> and I'm not buying lounge suites and new cars. And the Lord just said to me, but I want you to. I want you to love him. I want you to just cover him. I want you to give him money for food. 
And I remember just not being happy about that at first. Until I learned more and more that the Father was trying to teach me mercy. That as a young leader, I was very black and white. And God is far more gracious than we are. He was gracious to this young guy. He's faithful and slow to anger, bounding in love. In Psalm 145, verse 13, I'm nearly finished. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving towards all that he has made. He's faithful to all his promises and loving towards all that he has made. I'll finish with this. 1 John 4, 8. I mentioned this earlier. God is love. Do you know what love is? This is how the Oxford Dictionary breaks it down. A warm liking or affection for a person. Devotion towards a person. When God looks at you, he gets a warm feeling inside. He has a, a, a he enjoys you. He enjoys you. When he looks at you, it's not like, oh, it's like, my boy, my girl. I love Ephesians 1 verse 5, the New Living Translation, I think says it the best. It's one of my new favorite translations. It's a translation I found uh, when I was going through my daughter, because it's just an easy one, and it's pretty accurate. It says this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. Listen to that. God decided in advance that he was going to adopt you into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. When God saved you, the Bible says, and you responded, he got off of his throne and began to dance and leap and sing and rejoice over you with singing. God is a good father, and he's for you, and he loves you. He's mad about you, and he wants to walk through your life with you. He wants to be close to you. He wants to share every moment with you. My daughter this morning went to Melpo's congregation, and uh, my wife and I, MC was hoping to come tonight, but she's, she wasn't feeling that well, so she's not here, but I'm here. But as Enya came home from church, we were waiting for her. How was it? She walks in, it was amazing, what happened? And she starts telling us what happened. And I remember she says to us, Dad, I had the weirdest experience. I sang in church for the first time by myself. I'm like, what do you mean? She says, I was standing in the meeting and I started feeling the Holy Spirit coming on in me and I, I knew there was a song I had to sing and I, and I went up to the mic and I sang a song over the church for the first time in my life. And I remember MC and I were just like, I can't believe I missed that. I'm so bummed that I wasn't there. But that is so amazing. And I'm a bad father compared to God. God wants to be a father to you. He adopted you into his family. He sent his son, Jesus, so that you would be included into that relationship. He loves you. And he's for you. Not against you. And so if you had a day, here's the amazing thing. In John 1, 12, and I'm finished with this. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name. In other words, when it says his name, the Bible here is actually speaking about who believed what he said, to believe him. His name is his nature, his identity. To those of you that hear this and believe this, and believe that Jesus came and ultimately dying on the cross, 
was doing it to reconcile you to his own father because he knows how much the father loves you and he knows how much he loves the father. But God was doing this because he wanted to give you the right to become a child of God. Do you believe that? Because you can live life on your own and you'll mess it up. This will catch up with you and just slowly eat you away and destroy you. Because without God, there's no life. Until you die one day at the end. And then because you basically rejected his desire to save you, forever you'll be separated from him. Forever separated from a loving father. Or you can believe, like I did. He found me as a drug addict. He found me in sin. He found me sexually immoral. He found me addicted to so many things. But I believed him. I believed he wanted me, that he loved me. And I came and I accepted his gift. I accepted the fact that Jesus died on a cross because he loved me. Because God wanted a relationship with me. And I came to see him and began to learn about him. And I was adopted into his family. And my life was never the same. God wants the same for you. He loves you. That's how I want to, in closing, give you an opportunity. Because to all who believe, he gave the right to become a child of God. Do you believe? Why don't we close our eyes and I'd love to pray with you. Maybe, and I'm going to pray for those that maybe just realize that their father lens is broken and that they, they trust in the Lord would heal it. But before I go there, is there someone here today that you've never accepted the death of Jesus on the cross for you? You've never understood that dying on the cross, he was coming to reconcile you to God. Because the Bible says that you and I have sinned. We've, we've, we've been selfish and self-centered. We have damaged and destroyed ourselves and damaged and destroyed others around us. And the consequence of living our lives our way is death, separation from Him. But God so loved the world, the Bible says, that He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus, so that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. That you and I would be welcomed into his family, adopted as sons and daughters, forgiven of our sins, and made like our heavenly Father. If you had to know you've never accepted God that way, and you're saying, God, I want to, I want to know you as a father, I want my sins forgiven, I want to be a part of your family, then with every head bowed and every eye closed, will you respond, just lift up your hand and I'll pray with you, and just introduce you to him today in this place. Is anyone here? For God so loved you, anyone today. And I want to pray quickly for those that just as you've been hearing me, you realize, man, I am seeing God through broken lenses. My upbringing, my life, the things that have happened have really messed with my vision. And I want to know Him properly. I want to know the real God. I'd love to pray with you in closing. So if that's you, would you stand with me right now? in your seat, and I'm just going to pray for those that stand. Let's do that right now. Thank you, Lord. Father, I want to thank you that 
actually the love of God, according to the scriptures, is bigger and wider and stronger than our finite minds can even grasp. But Paul did pray that we would know the love of God that surpasses understanding. Father, I want to thank you for every person standing. And Father, you have seen the brokenness. You've seen the sin and its consequences. You've seen the things done to them and the things that they have done. And still, Father, you've loved them. You've loved them with an everlasting love. Before you formed the world, you already loved them and planned their redemption, planned how you would be able to find them kicking and screaming in their own blood and draw them into your family that they could be known and sons and daughters of the living God. Lord, I pray right now by your spirit that you would just begin a process of healing the damaged lens of fatherhood, that you would show them your love that surpasses understanding, that somehow inside, Lord, they'd begin to sense your nearness even when they think they don't deserve it because they never will, but that your nearness and your favor would be upon them and that you would not leave them or forsake them, but that you would be a faithful father to fulfill the promises that you've made to them. That, Lord, you would walk with each one into a healing, whole relationship. That they would see you with unveiled eyes, know you for who you really are, and come into the fullness of what it is. The full rights of sonship. The full rights of sonship. I pray, Lord, that they would know that when they pray, how it is that you hear, how you want to be a part of every single part of their lives. And I pray that you would break the broken, messed up images and bring about a new lens of understanding by the power of your Holy Spirit. Bring them through, Father, because you love them, because they are yours, because you even nailed them into your hands, Jesus. Their names forever. In Jesus' name, amen. I think I'm out of time.